podcast is provided for general information and for general information purposes only and does not replace your financial, tax, legal or finance product advice. Hello everyone and welcome to The Female Investor, your chance to listen to two of Australia's leading property experts talking about all things property buying, finance, strategy and lots more. Kate Hill and Nicola McDougall are the authors of the book The Female Investor, Creating Wealth, Security and Freedom Through Property. Kate is an award-winning property mentor and coach, a qualified property investment advisor and founder of buyer's agency, Advisable. And she's a successful property investor herself. Nicola is an award-winning and prolific property journalist. She has been involved in property research, analysis and reporting for 15 years. And she is also a successful property investor herself. Property investment is one of the simplest, safest and preferred ways for women to create financial freedom. And with the right information to make an educated and informed decision, this can be achieved. If you know a woman who is concerned about her financial future, or maybe that's you. If you're keen to improve your chances of creating an income for life, then this is your place to learn, be inspired and motivated. Along with some special guests, Kate and Nicola will be offering genuine practical news and tips to women of any age to stake your claim on the property market. So come on, ladies, stay tuned and let's do this together. Hello, my fabulous lady female investor listeners. How are you all doing out there? It is Kate here. I have my fabulous co-author Nicola with me today. We are going to do a little bit of reminiscing, (laughs) a bit impromptu, but we're going to do some reminiscing. And we are going to discuss a report that has been published, which shows that women's probability of being in poverty is more than double after separation and what can be done about this. So stay tuned for today's awesome episode, everyone. Hello, Nicola. Hi, Kate. How? Now we can see each other. Obviously, all our lovely listeners can't see us, but we can see each other, which is amazing. I know. And we did see each other as well in Sydney recently when we realized when we were at dinner that it was the one year anniversary of the of us working together, deciding to work together on the book. Yes. To the day, like to the to very day. day. It was not planned, everybody. It I was know. And we were having dinner and you suddenly popped, it popped into your head, didn't it? Going, hang on a minute. Isn't this like the exact... Yeah, I just saw I knew it was around about time, and then we both looked at our diaries for looked at our online calendars from last year, Apple calendars, and went, holy moly. And as it turned out, we were sitting by the well, by the by the Sydney Opera Bar, which is where we were last year. And so where did we go? We went to the opera bar area. We didn't go to the actual opera oh, bar yes. because Vivid was on. At Sydney, and it was drizzly and cold, but we nevertheless did manage to celebrate. We did, and we had some nice photos that we were taking, and we had a, a book with us, which wasn't actually, I don't know, it wasn't really proof. Look, because I think we no. knew that it was around about the date, but we didn't know it was the date. No, we just saw it. We saw it as a bit of another. we saw it as a bit of a photo opportunity, just randomly. Oh, well, indeed. Yeah, and then, but just goes to show my friend that we came up with that idea a year ago. Yeah. We pitched the book into Wiley. They accept, they gave us a book deal. We wrote it. Uh, then we did everything as we learned that is involved with the production of a book, including it uh, hitting the shelves in late March. 
And then on top of all that, you know, we've got marketing and press and things like that. And here we are a year later. And what, no wonder it's all a bit of a blur. It's all a bit of a blur, but we're getting lovely, lovely feedbacks from many, many readers who are emailing and texting and calling us, which is thrilling that the book is getting to the audience, the exact audience that we intended it to, and that they are, the feedback is, I wish this book had been around 20, 30 years ago, but hey, I'm reading it and it's motivating me to do something. It warms the cockles of my heart. I don't mind telling you. Exactly. And 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 the and the feedback, like you say, but also from you know, everyone from younger, younger women who are just starting out in the workforce, literally this morning. You know, I have uh, a new hot water, brand new hot water cylinder needed at my home, and uh, there's a female electrician on site, which I, which you know, is wonderful. And uh, I um, decided that you know what, I'm going to go and give her a copy of my book. Mm. And she said, I haven't bought anything yet, but I, I, this is the perfect book for me. And and that's certainly the case with anybody that seems to be, you know, picking up a copy. Yeah. So it's pretty man. I still get a thrill, actually. I was in Brisbane the other day and I called into Dimmicks and Chermside on the way through because I had to go in there for something else. And I, I popped in there and there we were. Yes. There we were, top shelf of the of the business section. And even in all the airports, we I, when I was coming back from Sydney, when I'd seen you, we were in the must-read section in all of the news uh, links uh, within uh, Sydney yeah. Airport. So, you know, that's just amazing. Yeah. And here yeah. we are several months down the down the line and obviously we're getting a lot of love from various places a lot of book retailers booktopia mm, and we were named as amazing. one of its books books for excellence extraordinary yes. and then as we know that we have promoted a little bit we have reached number one bestseller mm. of prop, all property and real estate books on booktopia yes. you know beating a, a number one ahead a of books that have been out for a number of years we got there within six weeks so that is just amazing. And thank you so much to everybody thank for you. your support. Absolutely. And I think it's also telling, like you alluded to, when we pitched the book to Wiley's, we knew there was an audience for this topic. We knew that there was a big market for the female investor. And it's it's just proven itself, hasn't it? Oh, 100%. 100%. And as we know, and we'll talk about a little bit, you know, in the show, more and more data is being released, you know, almost every week, and it's and it's quite yeah. horrifying in a way that continues to prove the the poorer financial outcomes for women, you know, not only uh, throughout their working lives, but certainly mm-hmm. in retirement. And then some new data, which in uh, research, which just came out last week, which you know showed that heterosexual relationship breakdown is pushing, uh, you know, a high volume of of women into poverty and unfortunately many also into homelessness. Mm. Yes. Yes, which is sort of the main topic that we wanted to sort of talk through really. This this study was, um, and you, I think you yourself. Yes, I did actually. I was, was, you know, I was doing a bit of research on various things. It came out um, from the uh, Melbourne Institute, who have done a, a, a lot of research in this area, mm. but a new report called Breaking Down Barriers. Mm. Um, and I think we should get one of those female report authors on the show at some point, Kate. I think they'd have some great insights, but really showing, unfortunately, you know, through some in-depth research and analysis that, you know, the relationship breakdown is causing a lot of women to be forced into poverty, but also there was some quite interesting elements to the research there as well, Kate, about, you know, the age of, of the woman during, you know, the relationship breakdown and also the age of their children as well, which was yeah. sort of 
quite strong determinants on on how the outcome could be uh-huh. for them financially. Yeah. So let me fill everybody in. So the report followed nine hundred exactly nine hundred and forty seven women and eight hundred and seven men who were legally married or in a de facto partnership before breaking up. And they looked at their income for up to five years after that separation. And for comparison, they analyzed the incomes of nearly five and a half thousand women and five and a half thousand men who had similar characteristics. They were in similar financial positions to the separated couples before the split, but who stayed together. And the report also found that it was crucial that a connection to the labour market exists for women before the family breaks up as prevention against poverty entry, if you like. And obviously for women with dependent children, this was going to be difficult. But I think, like you say, with the age of some women, it was harder for the slightly older, more mature lady with older children who was less likely to have been in the workforce for a considerable period of time to then re-enter the workforce. And yeah, do I think in the report they, they, yeah. they coined the term or it might have been around already, but poverty trap, um, which is, you know, a mm. horrible term really, but it is yeah. really those women who may have been out of the workforce, um, you know, maybe 10 mm. years or more, their children might be at high school. Yeah. Um, and just because of the fact that they have been outside of employment for so long, very difficult for them to get back into the, well, very difficult for them to probably get back into the workforce full stop, let alone after a relationship breakdown when they um, are likely to be the, you know, a a solo parent who may have, you know, custody, they might have 50-50 or they may have, you know, majority custody, who knows the answer to that, but that, you know, very difficult for them to get back into the workforce. And also they mentioned in the report about the fact that with these welfare provisions and things like that, it almost makes it not worth a woman's while to, you know, try to return to the workforce when she has childcare provisions to to consider as well, Mm. which means that sometimes, you know, they might be going back into the workforce that might be quite lowly paid, but then by the time childcare is removed, they're no better off than what they were before. So that's the kind of paradox that they get stuck in, which is why they're in this poverty trap. Yes, absolutely. Because then you, I think you're going to psychologically find it difficult to think about why it might actually still be better for you to be working Mm. less well off rather than receiving, you know, a number of benefits because it's going to make it much harder for you to improve your own financial future while you're receiving kind of benefits and grants and and whatnot grants, but benefits Mm -hmm. rather than if you're working, you know, you've got obviously then much more control, but you might be worse off. So I think that is uh, like you say, that, that term poverty trap. Right. And I think what's also interesting is that younger women with younger children that have likely been out of the workforce for a shorter period of time meant it was usually easier for them to re-enter the workforce. And they were, I guess, what was called in the report, the least vulnerable segments of of that demographic. And I think the impact on them was still significant within the first few years of the relationship breakdown, Mm -hmm. but they were able to re-enter the workforce and Mm. get back on track, I suppose, usually within Mm. about three to five years. Yeah. uh, the same um, scenario wasn't mm. the case for older older women or just women who have older yeah. children may have been out of the workforce 
for longer. Yeah. I mean, the report, in, in fairness, does report about the impacts on men, but, you know, it was yeah. a significant difference and, and, and pretty much no yes. no chance of them uh, being caught in a poverty trap, as it turned out. Yes, that's right. So, and it said that men, uh, to sort of quote the report, it said that men do also lose out financially after relationship breakdown, but the effect is much smaller than for women. And on average, men lose 5% of their income, while women lose 29% mm. after separation. So men's incomes are not pushed below the poverty line as often, which I think is key to note and just a nature of, you know, how we are, I guess that, you know, the the allocation of duty, if you like, you know, yes. the child, the child's childcare, right? Yeah. Well, really. Exactly. And even, you know, yeah. all of the reasons why we decided mm. to, to write the book, Kate, you mm. know, the the gender pay gap, mm. you know, the disparity and in, in super balances, the, you know, yeah. quite dreadful financial outcomes for many women mm. in retirement. And now we have this report, which is only just recently released, which is, you know, compounding that in a way, you know. So, and, and I think in the book, we actually mentioned you know, re- divorces are what are they, 40 to 50% still? And a lot of people uh, still yeah. have their finances completely combined with their partner uh, from the very beginning of, of, of when they usually perhaps only buy their first asset with their partner. Yeah. So they, they yes. I mean, unless you're a second time round or something like that, or you don't partner mm-hmm. up until you're a little older, you've got these joint finances from the beginning. And as the research is showing, mm. uh, if that relationship breaks down and mm. you do have children, let's be clear about that. It is generally women with children. Yes. It is likely that you are going to be financially much more financially worse off than your male partner. Mm. Mm. And and I think, again, it must be, you know, looking at it, you know, from a putting real people behind all this, you know, if you're you're partnering up with somebody or you're looking forward to having a longer term relationship, I, I'm not sure that at the forefront of your mind is when that's going to end. You know, you're obviously, mm. you'll go into these hopeful and optimistic and you want your relationship to last. You know, do you, do you feel like you're just being cynical by assuming, you know, putting provisions in place because you assume, you know, in 20 years time, you're going to be separating and you're going to have, mm. you know, a third of the super that your male counterpart does, your partner. And it's good actually to know that's exactly right. And the, you know, the, I mean, for, for those of us who are were a bit older, or you know, mm. I want to be married the once, but my husband's been married twice, or many you know, people, mm. you, do, you go, you do go into it with your eyes wide, you know, mm. wide open, more wide open than you would have when you were when you were younger. And I guess you do have assets to protect usually by that stage. Uh, but what is good is, you know, all of all of this research is starting to begin discussions in, in the places where they need to be had about the fact that women's super, you know, just sits there completely not growing for years and years and years mm-hmm. if they're out of the workforce while they are, you know, caring for, for children. Yeah. And so there yeah. is starting to be, and I think there was, I read actually somewhere the other day, and I can't remember the, the company that actually as part of their maternity leave are actually continuing to pay the super yeah, wow. of their yes. employees, which I yeah. thought was amazing. Yeah. Um, so things like maybe there will be more like that. Mm. Obviously, superannuation is classed as a financial asset at, at divorce. I'm not a lawyer or a mm. financial mm. Uh, specialist, but that's my understanding. So there is some that is classed as all of the assets that you have together at that point in yes. time. Mm. But I suppose our um, point of view and the whole reason why we wrote the book, certainly for me as well, was to, to try and stop us getting to this point 
where perhaps both parties have financial independence as much as possible from each other from from the outset or certainly some plans in place that creates that sort of separation, I suppose? Yes, yes, which again, I think is is hard to think through in, you know, really in the cold, harsh light of day when you're, you know, in the fresh flush of a new relationship, you know, or do you then feel by accumulating those assets? Because you, I always remember you saying, you know, imagine a scenario where both parties have real estate assets outside of the relationship, you know, it would change the end result, you know, that are highlighted in that report, right? Mm. But, you know, do you then feel, again, it's all about, you know, the woo-woo, feely-feely stuff. If you're starting to accumulate assets as a young female, you know, are you going to be seen as someone who is never, you know, well, you've obviously, you're never planning on getting married or having children, you know, and does that actually matter that that is the perception still out there? Do you think that is the perception? Do you think that's... I think we do, to to a degree, we still live in the 17th century with that kind of thing, absolutely. Because no man is going to be thought of like that, but women are, absolutely. I I, I read this short story the other day about Mm. it comes down to, you know, certain women who have chosen not not to have children, you know, but they have pets and da-da-da, and everyone always assumes, you know, oh, it's the it's the child substitute. Actually, no, you know, it's not. This was the, the story. Dog. It was the story I was reading. But, you know, a man with a dog is never seen like that. Mm. Well, so it's, it's making an interesting point because, I mean, obviously I built a portfolio as yeah. a woman myself mm. and... I never said that I was getting married or I wasn't getting married, but I didn't meet the right person until I knew I wasn't getting married until I met the right person and I didn't meet the right person mm. until I was in my early 40s. So that's, you know, because I'm, a, I'm the product of a divorced, uh, you know, a divorce in the 1970s, yeah. like so many of us, yeah. I had a healthy respect for marriage, but also for di- divorce uh, mm. realism around it. So I was never going to get married to some bloke that I started dating in my early 20s or something like that, you know. So for me, that was, it was never yes or no. It was uh, I'll know when I know. And as it turned out, I did. Mm. Um, and I have retained independent financial independence from my husband. And we had these conversations very early on, very early on mm. you know, and um, very open. And I think it's also about being open up and talking, like in a chapter in the book, right, talking about finance, it's not a dirty word. No, being with someone who respects what you've achieved and respects your desire to, respects and supports your desire for financial independence, because if they don't, well, that's a real problem for me and it should be for everybody else. Mm. If that's what someone, if, that, if that's the person that you supposedly love and want to marry or a long-term relationship, why on earth wouldn't you ha- would you have a problem with them wanting to maintain and protect the assets that they have spent, in my case, 20 years building by myself? You know, I, I, I just feel that it would be great if we were in this situation where that was the norm and, you know, younger generations, they are much better with all this sort of stuff than perhaps the generation older are. But I think it's just a conversation that should be a normal conversation Mm -hmm. that we have and that each person respects the other person's achievements Mm -hmm. and their their desire to retain financial independence. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. You know, I just, I do wonder, I'd love to hear from, we'd love to hear Mm -hmm. some of your stories about this actually, because I really would be interested 
if there are still social pressures felt by females, young or more mature, out there to, you know, to not do what you did? Are you feeling the pressure or somehow, well, I can't, or, you know, there's something out there that you think, no, I, I need to wait until I'm partnered up. I need to wait until I'm in a relationship and then this can this can start happening. Yeah, um, I mean, there is the power of two, of course, so financially it can course, be. Um, yeah, a borrowing power. You could partner up with Absolutely. one of your friends. Yes. Um, but you know, but I'm just, I'm just purely yeah. talking just about is there a some sort of, mm. you know, intangible pressure social some sort of you know social norms or you know prejudices out there that make you feel like this is something that isn't normally done or you know unusual well that would be good if we get some listeners I really love that I do know though um without naming names but I think (laughs) the mortgage and the the lending industry still struggles with it a bit bit. oh totally yeah my recent in my recent purchase there were some interesting questions not I didn't I don't think it's interesting but they were like so you don't own those properties with your husband and I'm like no no oh um okay You know, and they, this one particular banker really, really struggled with it. They could not get their head around the fact. And because obviously my husband and, now, and I now have joint assets together, mm. so it's kind of like this multi-tiered portfolio that sums, you know, with my husband and sums by myself. And that they, mm. the, the, the lending industry is yet to catch up on that concept. <laughs> yeah, but you you told that story weeks and months ago, you know, yeah. the bank looking, oh, you know. This, oh, yeah. that was in 2014 when I bought my Art Deco place. Not not that long ago, right? But how they were like, whoa, single, what, single? That was my Art Deco 2014, but this is like last, mm. well, the last six months where mm. I had someone question yeah. that I had such a weird portfolio. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, but this is exactly the sort of thing I'm talking about, you know. Yes. What what sort of resolve, what sort of steely resolve do we need to have to you know, to strive forward to kind of push through anyway because some some don't have that, some don't have the resources to do that emotionally as well as financially. If you've come out of some separation, divorced, widowed, whatever you know, traumatic situation you've just come through and then you've got to battle, Mm. go into battle with society, with the banks, with I don't know who, you know, who's going, oh, that's a bit odd. What are you trying to do by yourself? It's no wonder, you know. Um, And I think that's why, you know, with the book and, you know, the more, the more that we are out in the public talking about these Mm. things, I've always been a true believer in, you know, it's not an uncommon term, you can't be what you can't see. And as a female who also, you know, has an interest in screenwriting, I've written a film script Mm. and I was quite heavily involved about 10 years ago and I was banging the drum back then about the appalling number of female uh, movies written by females. You know, it's not even really much better now, but I used to use that term back then. But it's also the same about this too because it's about, you know, women being able to learn from other women and having resources that they can, you know, have a voice and understand, you know, what their path is and choose their path and not have to defend any of their decisions to want to, you know, to build wealth for themselves or to be financially independent and to protect themselves for their future. Mm. Yes, and I think... 
to conclude because obviously we could go on for hours yeah i've got to, I've got to feel a bit uh-huh. strangely we're quite passionate oh it's you know very passionate about we believe in this so strongly but we, we to sum up we we both want to see a world where no woman is forced into poverty or homelessness that's a whole other chapter mm-hmm. because their relationship is over they've still got school-aged children and the ex-partner probably never has to face such horrendous possibility at all just because of the the gender and the, na- the you know the nature of how our families live so our goal as you know lovely ladies out there is and our driving motivation is to help as many women as we can to secure financial futures create wealth independence by themselves for themselves for each other as well that is why we wrote the book yes all right ladies until next time please do send us your stories we love hearing about what you're doing what you want to do what you have been doing it's inspiring it's thrilling keep them coming and we will talk to you all again really soon so bye for now nick see you soon bye kate see you soon thanks everyone And that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and found it super useful. You can email us with any questions that you have on info at thefemaleinvestor.com.au. Don't forget to order a copy of the book, The Female Investor. You can go to your local bookstore, pick it up on Amazon or Booktopia or anywhere that good books are sold. And you can head to thefemaleinvestor.com.au where you can click on the links and also find lots of resources on property investing, news, hints, tips and videos. We will be with you all again soon. Stay safe and well, everyone. Bye for now.